Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, thank you for this time that we can come together and we can reflect on the Gospel of Matthew. We can reflect on these last verses of chapter 28. We can reflect on Jesus' uh, words, his commission, his commandments to us, Lord. I pray that you would bless us in this time as we seek to not only hear, but understand and apply it to our lives and live it for your glory. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Christ. Amen. One of the most challenging times I remember in my life is when I was in college and I get to the end of a semester and the teacher would remind us that the final exam was going to be a comprehensive exam, meaning that it was going to cover all the material for the whole semester. So all of the notes and all of the reading we were supposed to study for the final exam. So that was really overwhelming because it included so much information. It was really nice when the teacher gave us an outline that helped us to maybe focus on some of the materials a little bit more in depth. As we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we've been looking at it for the past eight months off and on. And I want to tell you, there's not going to be a final exam on it. But I do want us to think a little bit about what we have talked about throughout the Gospel of Matthew how we've talked about the genealogy of Jesus, and we talked about his birth and his baptism, his call and his temptation, his calling his disciples, his teaching and his miracles, his suffering and his crucifixion, and ultimately, as we talked about last Sunday, his resurrection. This morning, I want us to understand that the reason why we've looked at the Gospels of Matthew is so that we can understand who Jesus is and why he has come to the earth. So that we can understand that we are like the disciples following him and learning from him. So that we ourselves can learn those important truths and, and be all the more a, a better follower of Jesus. I want us to look today at God's plan for the world, for our lives and how sin has impacted our lives, and how God's plan brings us to the greatest call we could ever have. As we are going through this coronavirus pandemic, it might feel like we're stuck in molasses and going nowhere fast. It might seem that life has come to a standstill. You might be wondering what the future holds for you, and if your life has purpose right now. I want to suggest to you that when we feel this way, when we think these things, it's because we're not understanding God's overall plan and our purpose. Unfortunately, much of our life is lived for our own goals, for our own purposes. And so if we don't achieve our goals or if we don't achieve them in the time frame that we want, then, then maybe we feel like our, our life has lost some meaning. 
or if there's a great disrupt in life like we are going through now, then maybe we feel like life has a lack of meaning. This is all ingrained in us because of one thing, and that is sin. Sin causes us to lose our focus on who we are and why we, create, why we were created. So I want to take us back for a moment to the beginning of the Bible. And I want us to look at Genesis 1, 27 to 31. So hear these words. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God created people. In his image, he created them. He created them to fill the earth and to subdue it. He created them to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with one another and to care for the earth so it might provide for people and for the animals. It was a wonderful and great system. Things were going along fine until Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that sin enters the world. And up to this point, Adam and Eve only knew good. But once they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would come to know evil. And in knowing evil, they would be led to do evil. Yet God still had a provision for this. As we look at Genesis 3.15, God is speaking to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. We see the mention of the cross right here. Inferred in this phrase, you will strike his heel. This phrase is referencing how the Messiah will be killed on the cross. His death would Seemed like a victory, but it would be just a temporary wound, a strike to the heel. But the phrase, he will crush your head, reminds us of the resurrection of Easter Sunday and Jesus lifting, coming to life, coming to life again, rising from the dead, so that he might win victory over sin and death. This plan is mentioned time and time again in the Old Testament as the people are waiting for the coming of the Messiah and for the salvation that will come through the Messiah. The Messiah will bring about forgiveness of sins and life eternal. The Messiah will save his people and bring them back fully to God. Listen to some of the passages that talk about this. Isaiah 7.14 It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. We understand that Emmanuel means God with us. Now this was prophesied about 700 years prior to Jesus' birth. And of course we know that it is fulfilled when Mary became pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Jesus. 
And then we read in Isaiah 9, 6-7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Again, prophesied about 700 years prior to Jesus' coming, we see that he will be God in the flesh, the one who comes in peace and love and power, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one to accomplish God's ultimate purpose of redeeming his people and freeing them from the effects of sin. There are so many prophecies of the Messiah coming to fulfill the plan of God in the Old Testament, but let me give you one more. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. Jesus will be the king who will reign wisely and do right in the land. Jesus is the one who will be the righteous Savior. Jesus is the one who is to come and put things in order. Now, how does this help us now? It is important to understand that nothing surprises God. This pandemic is not surprising to God. This coronavirus is not keeping God's will from being carried out. This COVID-19 occurrence is not making things difficult for God. God is all-powerful and all-knowing and has a plan for all things in all times. We need to live into this wonderful promise. We need to hear Words like this from Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Even though we might be growing weary of being isolated and not being able to be physically together at church, God will never grow weary. Seek God for understanding. Seek God for strength. Seek God for his plan. Seek God to know and carry out his plan. Seek God to soar on the wings of eagles. Seek God so that you will not grow weary or faint. Seek God. As we come to the book of, the end of the book of Matthew, let me read again those verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
As I was thinking about my sermon in this passage this last Monday as I was writing it, it took me to this whole idea of the stay home directive. About four weeks ago, we were given this directive to, to stay home so that we would not interact too much with others and so that we would hopefully curb this spread of the coronavirus and so that the hospitals and the health workers can stay on top of the cases of those who were sick. Most people have done a pretty good job of following this directive. Why? Why have people obeyed this directive? Well, because they understand the seriousness of the situation and that by doing our part, we can help stop this pandemic and, and get life back to, to normal sooner rather than later. People were motivated to obey the directive and believe that by following it, they would be saved from harm. When Jesus was getting ready to leave the earth, after he had seen many people after his resurrection, he came to be in front of his followers. And it says that some doubted. And Jesus reminded them that he came to help people understand the seriousness of sin and the need for forgiveness and that his sacrifice was what took care of this problem. Even more, because he's the only way to receive this forgiveness and eternal life. He set up a plan where his disciples, who he trained, would, would make other disciples, who would then make other disciples, and on and on down the line. See, the key is that we are called to make disciples. So the first part of the plan, Jesus says, is go. If we understand anything from the Gospel of Matthew, we need to understand that we need to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. It doesn't stop there, though, because Jesus set up a plan where this would be carried on, where what, how he was teaching others to follow him, those people who would be followers of Christ would then pass that knowledge on to make more disciples. Probably more than any other time, except maybe the time of the disciples when it all first got started, we need to go to where people are. We cannot wait for them to call, come to us. We must follow this command of Jesus even more than we follow the stay-at-home directive. Because it is even more important that we go and share the gospel in whatever way we can. Jesus this then tells us what we are to do when we go. He says we are to make disciples. Now this word make, I think, frightens a lot of people. Maybe keeps people from stepping out and following this command. So many people do not feel qualified or prepared to do this. And so they, they shy away from this command. But let me give you some encouragement. A better translation of this phrase, go and make disciples, I think would simply be, go disciple. It is better to take out the word make, because we can't make disciples. God makes the disciples. God does that for us. So it really takes the pressure and the spotlight off of us in many ways. The call then to the disciple is to simply live your life as Jesus has called you to live. He says, follow me. And so we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus' example. See, this is one of the, the wonderful experiences about going through the Gospel of Matthew, is that by going through it, we see who Jesus is, we see how Jesus lived, we see Jesus' example, we hear Jesus' teaching, we learn from Jesus himself. So how do I know what to do? I simply follow Jesus' example. 
So while we are called to go, in reality, it isn't kind of the kind of going where you plan a trip and then go. It is to be an ongoing going. Meaning that you will always be in the mode of discipling. You do this by being the example that Jesus has called you to be. As people see you live your life, they see what it means to be a Christ follower. Then when you have the opportunity to talk about your life with others, Jesus should naturally be a part of that conversation. You talk about what you are learning and how God is leading you and, and guiding you and protecting you and helping you in your life. In this natural way, you will help others to learn about Jesus, and you will be discipling. When I was a baseball coach for Tyler's team, my goal was to try to help the, the dozen 12-year-olds become better baseball players. And so I took what I knew about baseball, and I shared it with them. I helped them to learn more about baseball, to become better baseball players, and to do their best to be part of this baseball team. There are things that you know about being a Christian, and these are the things you should share with others. And there are answers that you won't be able to give, and that's okay. The key is to share with others what you do know and to direct them to Jesus for the ultimate answers. The goal is for them to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. They will get their answers through the Bible and through other Christians and through the church. To disciple a person is not just for one person to do. It is for the whole body of Christ. We join together to help one another stay strong in our faith and grow in maturity. And so we do our part through the people that God brings to us when we go. Lastly, let me give you a couple words of encouragement here. First, you need to understand that you are not alone in this. Jesus is with you. Remember the, the last words that Jesus says in verse 20. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Lord is with you whenever you speak. Like he was with Jeremiah when he called Jeremiah to be a prophet. And Jeremiah was young and he was, he was nervous to take on this charge. And God said, I will give you the words to speak. Like God was with Peter when he had to come before the religious court, the Sanhedrin. And the Holy Spirit filled Peter and gave him the words to speak. So God, whenever we have that opportunity to share with others, he will be with us and he will give us the words to speak. Second, hear this important word from the Apostle Paul himself when he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Ultimately, a person does not become a disciple until they accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And so your words and my words, when we talk to someone, maybe just the planting of a seed where someone else will water it and someone else will water it and help it to grow. But ultimately, God brings the full growth of making a disciple. God is with the process all along the way, and he chooses you and me and uses us in a special, wonderful, and profound way of leading people to Christ and helping them mature in their faith. A couple weeks ago, I talked about C.S. Lewis being one of my favorite authors, so let me just close this time with a quote from him. He says, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. 
You might not like some things in your past, and that's okay. And you might not be happy with some of the things that are in your present. But the great news that we find in the Gospels is that Jesus has come to give us an abundant life. And so we need to rid ourselves of all those things that aren't what God would want in our lives and give them over to God, release them, and commit today to make a difference with your life. Commit today to be a disciple who disciples others according to this command that Jesus gives us. You might not think of yourself as a disciple like Peter and James and John, but the truth is if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you are a follower of Christ. You are a disciple. And this command to disciple, to make disciples, to, to go and disciple, is for you and for me. We should remember that this is what our life is to be about. In this time, we can do it. We are called into action. Even now, with a phone call or forwarding an inspirational message or encouraging someone who doesn't go to church to, to watch our service on YouTube, in this way, we will be giving some people grace and peace and hope and truth. We'll be fulfilling the Great Commission to go and disciple. Let us take this command seriously and know that we are making a great difference with our life when we go and disciple others and when we live our lives for the glory of God. Let us pray.